Good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 42. If you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, the words will be on the screen, but you're welcome also. There are Bibles under the seats in front of you. Our passage this morning is on page 886. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we do have free Bibles. We'd love to give you one of those as a gift this morning. Uh, Just visit our Welcome Center after the service today, and uh, someone will be happy to give you a Bible and greet you. Probably never heard the name Martha Victoria Hitt before. But her life, whether you know it or not, has had an impact on our church today. Martha, whom her family and friends called Maddie, was born in 1885 in Neshoba County, Mississippi. She married her sweetheart, Henry Barber, and they lived a quiet life together with their 10 children. Maybe it wasn't such a quiet life. She was a diligent homemaker. She maintained their rural farming household. Many things could be said about the life of Maddie Barber. She kept meticulous journals throughout her life, but one thing was very clear, and that she loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and He was of utmost importance in her life. She loved her Savior, and as a faithful mother and faithful wife, she sought to raise her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One of the children born to the Barbers in the fall of 1916 was a girl named Henrietta. And while both of the Barbers, both Henry and Maddie, were devout Christians, it was Maddie's daily care as a mother and her love for Christ that ended up having the most profound impact on Henrietta's life. And at a young age, she professed Jesus Christ as her Savior and followed Him. Henrietta would grow up and marry and eventually have children and grandchildren of her own. And following her mother's example, she sought also to live a life that honored the Lord and sought to use every opportunity to tell others about him. She told her children and she told her grandchildren. She would say things like, it's Christ plus nothing minus nothing. Look to Christ. And I was one of those grandchildren. My grandmother had a profound influence in my coming to know Christ as Savior at a young age and follow Him. And I can still see her. I still have memories of her sitting in her lazy boy, reading her Bible, occasionally looking up to tell me some verse that struck her or tell me what the Lord meant to her. And the point that I'm making this morning is this is that the faith of my great-grandmother Maddie, even though I never met her, even though she passed away long before I was born, it still echoes today. She told my grandmother, her daughter, Henrietta, about the Lord. My grandmother told my parents, my parents told me, and I, by God's grace, am striving to tell others about him today, especially in the context of serving here as one of your pastors at Faith Baptist Fellowship. Jesus 
in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, made a very poignant promise to Peter, and through his word, he makes that to all of us. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ will build his church. He is building his church right now. And the way he is going to do this is through faithful disciples making disciples. What I want us to see in today's passage is this. It's the beginning of this discipleship movement that Christ has started. He is calling his first disciples, and those disciples go on to make more disciples. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll dive into the text today. Father, as we come to your word this morning, it is my desire that you will open our hearts and minds and give us understanding of your word. Teach us, O Lord, by your spirit what it means to be a follower of Christ, and as followers of Christ, what we are called to do, and that is to point others to Jesus the Savior. Declare what is true about him. Follow him. Lead others and live a life in fellowship with Christ. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and he stayed with them that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The point of the message today that I want you to take away is this, that Christ is building his church by the power of the Holy Spirit through disciples who make disciples. He is building his church by the power of the Holy Spirit through disciples who go and make disciples. And I want to define just a few terms here before we jump into the passage today. What is a disciple? Now, in the context of Christianity, in the context of biblical Christianity, it is this. It is a sincere, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ in truth and obedience. Now, much more could be said and unpacked about that, and we're going to do some of that in today's message, but a sincere, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ in truth and obedience. And then there's a corresponding term we often include with that, and that is discipleship. It is making disciples, and so I'm going to define discipleship as this. It's the act of making disciples of Jesus Christ and teaching them to obey Him in everything. 
And we come to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And our passage this week gives us then a picture of who a disciple is and what a disciple does. What does that look like? With that, I want to give us three things that I want us to see today. First, as we look at this passage, I want us to see that a disciple points to Jesus and declares what is true about him. Points to Jesus and declares what is true about him. Second, a disciple follows Jesus and leads others to him. And third, a disciple fellowships with Jesus. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit differently today. It's going to be an exposition of this passage, but we're going to do this in parallels because really there's two little stories that go together here in this passage, and we're going to take jumping back and forth between the two parallels. But I want you to see the structure here. Notice in verses 35 through 39, you have John the Baptist who points and declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You have a following and leading of John's disciples. They follow Christ. And then you have this fellowship that occurs with Jesus. So John the Baptist tells his disciples who follow Jesus and have fellowship with him. Then you see a parallel to that. You see Andrew, who is one of those disciples, who goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter, and declares to him that Jesus is the Messiah. Andrew leads his brother to Jesus, and Peter gets this new name and becomes one of Jesus' disciples. So we're going to be going between these two parallels as we look at this today. So first, a disciple points to Jesus and declares what is true about him. We see John here, and it says, the next day again. This is happening in a short span of time. This is something that John was doing repeatedly. He was saying, behold, the Lamb of God. So note here in verses 35 through 36, we see John saying this. Earlier in verses 29 through 34, he had also been saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is something that John was repeating. And we note that John was not one to draw attention to himself. We could go back and look in how he said, I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, I am not the prophet, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He points his disciples not to himself, he points to Jesus. He says, behold, look. This is the one thing that is immediately, friends, evident about true followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ here today, your life is about calling others to look not to yourself, but look to Christ, look to Jesus, the Savior. Is that not your desire? Is that your hope today? Not that you would make much of yourself, but that you would make much of Christ. And in that statement, John says, behold, he declares what is true about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, Pastor Mike unpacked this very well last week. Let me just give you a quick recap. 
this phrase, the Lamb of God, is rich in biblical theology. We could go to Genesis chapter 22 when we think of uh, Abraham and Isaac and God providing the sacrificial lamb instead of Isaac having to be sacrificed. We could think of the, the Passover lamb and the blood on the doorpost in Exodus chapter 12. And then we think of Isaiah's great chapter, chapter 53, verse 7, where it says, talking about Jesus who would be to come, the Savior, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. Oh, he opened not his mouth. John points to Jesus and declares what is true about him, that he is the lamb of God. Now, I want us to jump down and note in verses 40 and 41, as we've read the full story, we know what's unfolding here. Andrew, who is one of those disciples who follows Jesus, in like manner, points to Jesus and declares what is true about him. Now, note that he first goes and finds his own brother. He has such wonderful news to share that he cannot keep it to himself John the Baptist pointed Andrew to Jesus, and now Andrew is like, I have to go point someone else to Jesus, and he finds his brother. When he finds Simon Peter, Andrew, like John the Baptist, declares this truth. He says, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. In John's gospel, we have both the, the Hebrew term and the Greek terms, Messiah, Christ, both meant the anointed one, and it was a term that was understood to refer to the one who would come in the kingly line of David to save his people. Faithful Jews were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. And we see many examples of this in the Old Testament. One that sticks out so prominently comes from Psalm 2, one of the messianic psalms. It speaks of the Messiah to come, and it says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, literally his Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You see, with, with John the Baptist and Andrew's declaration about who Christ is, we see the truth about Jesus. As John declares he is the Lamb of God, and as Andrew declares he is the Messiah, we see that he is the perfect atoning sacrifice, and we see that he is the King who has come to reign and to usher in his kingdom. Friends, a disciple points people to Christ and declares what is true about him. And that has impact on our world today as we think about telling others about Jesus. We must declare who he is. We must declare truthfully who Jesus is. Note also the, just the simplicity here, especially when we look at Andrew going to his brother Simon Peter, the simplicity of making disciples. Now, friends, indeed, there are those 
who are called to go to distant lands and cross oceans and learn new languages and explore new cultures to share the gospel. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. But friends, our first mission field is to those around us, our children, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, and our fellow church members. Love those around you. Look for those opportunities around you to point others to Christ Jesus and declare what is true about him. Parents, you have a profound influence in the life of your children. They are your first responsibility to disciple, and God has given them to you. What a wonderful opportunity you have to teach them God's word and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Others here among us, friends, we are surrounded by neighbors in a lost and dying world. Friends, we have church members among us, among us young, young Christians, new, older Christians. We have the opportunity to point one another to Jesus and declare what is true. And this ties into the second thing that I want to say today, is that a disciple follows Jesus and leads others to him. So note here, these two disciples in verse 37, upon hearing John the Baptist make this declaration, behold the Lamb of God, they turn and they follow Jesus. One of those, one of those that we, we know follow Jesus is Andrew. Now, to this, John does not object. He doesn't say, wait a minute, you're, you're my disciples. I want you to keep following me. No, he expects them to follow Jesus. John is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is the one that said about himself, he is unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. John's whole life was about seeing others follow Jesus, not himself. And that's precisely what these two disciples do. When they hear the truth, when they see Jesus pointed to, they turn and they follow the Lamb of God. And paralleling this is what we see Andrew doing when he goes to his brother. He goes to Simon Peter. Now that he's following Jesus, now that Andrew's following Jesus, he finds his brother and declares to him that Jesus is the Messiah, and then he brings him to meet Jesus. And I'm assuming Peter went willingly. He didn't just drag him there. Now, the scriptures don't record all of the details about how this interaction went on, but I think there are some things that we can rightly infer from scripture based upon the narrative here. First of all, it was clear that as a disciple of John the Baptist, that Andrew was a sincere man of faith. He was a faithful Jew who was looking for the Messiah. We can also rightly infer, I believe, that as he enthusiastically went and found his brother to tell him about Jesus, that Simon Peter was also one who was looking for the Messiah. So, you know, don't want don't to have too much conjecture here, but you can kind of maybe imagine this conversation. Peter, I found him. He's here. The Messiah is here. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the long-expected Savior come, and he takes his brother to go meet Jesus. Friends, this is what disciples are called to do. 
to believe what is true about Jesus, to follow him and desire that others have that same marvelous experience of knowing him and following him too. They're called to introduce others to Jesus. Now, how do we do this? And this can present some challenges in our day and age. I, I, I know this because the, the context of our culture has changed over the years. We live in a post-Christian culture, and it's becoming increasingly more so. There was a day, even in my, my day growing up, back in the South, where you live in the Bible Belt, and there was some semblance of things like God and sin and and heaven and hell that were on people's radar screens, even if they weren't Christians. They had a point of conversation. You had a place where you could hang your hat when you talked to them about the Lord Jesus. But we're losing that. People don't have those hooks to hang our hats on anymore when we proclaim the news of Christ to them. They are no longer looking for the Savior, but they are definitely still looking for a Savior. And they seek that salvation in the things of this world. They seek their salvation and their happiness in things like politics and sex and identity in careers and money and possessions. But none of these things are going to save them. And even they realize that more and more that these things aren't going to save me. As disciples of Jesus, as followers of Christ, friends, we have the opportunity to proclaim to them the true salvation found only in Jesus. Christ alone is the answer to what they are longing for. Tell people about Jesus and introduce them to your Savior. One more thing I want to note of importance here is this, is that what we see in our passage today is, is really the initial step of a disciple becoming a follower. It's mostly focusing on that and then that follower telling someone else. But remember that following Jesus is an ongoing, lifelong adventure. As we talked about, maybe you heard the podcast this week that Pastor Mike and I did on what it means to have a culture of discipleship in our church. We, we want to walk together with one another continuing to teach, encourage, admonish, and strengthen one another. Being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is a continual, ongoing thing, and we need the body of Christ to encourage us in that. Reminding one another, keep following Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Savior. Believe what is true about Him. So many dire circumstances can beset us off that journey. You just think of hardship and trial. In those moments of weariness and tiredness, we might be tempted to say, I'm too tired to follow Jesus anymore. And friends, that's where the body of Christ, we can come together and we say, no brother, no sister. We're in this walking together, following the Savior. Keep your eyes on Him. The third thing I want us to note from this passage is this, is that a disciple fellowships with Jesus. Now, in, in both accounts here that we see, 
we, we, we have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus that happens after the declaration of truth has happened. So we see here, first of all, these two disciples, they turn and they follow Jesus, and Jesus turns and saw them, and he asked this question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Now, that's a good question to ask. It's a very appropriate question to ask. What are we seeking from Christ? If you're here and you're a follower of Christ today, if you're a Christian, what are you seeking from Christ? Are you seeking a life of ease? Are you seeking wealth? Are you seeking power? Are you seeking influence? There are many people who follow Jesus or profess to follow Jesus, I would say, for all the wrong reasons. Now, granted, it's losing its social advantage these days to call yourself a Christian in the public sphere is less and less popular, but indeed there are those that profess and say that they are following Christ for money, for power, for influence, and all of those things. And that's why he asked them, what are you seeking? And their response is very interesting. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, initially you might ask, why, why, why would they respond that way? But it's interesting when you unfold and you think of the cultural context here and you unfold the, the, this passage, what they're really asking is, we want to be with you. We want to be where you are. We want to stay with you. They wanted to be with Jesus. And so to this response, Jesus invites them with this statement, come and you will see, which they do, and they stay with him the rest of the day. And friends, isn't this a beautiful invitation that Jesus offers them? Come and you will see. Come and taste of the goodness of the Lord. As a follower of Christ, what are you seeking this morning? Do you desire more of Christ in your life, or are you merely looking for some advantage of being His follower? Seek, friends, to know Him and fellowship with Him. And how do we do that? It's what we call the ordinary means of grace. I'm not going to tell you anything new. This is straight out of Sunday school answers right here. The Bible prayer, church, fellowship with other believers. Those are the ways that God has given us the ordinary means of grace that we can fellowship with our Savior. Be in the Word of God regularly, daily. Be in prayer daily. Be in fellowship with God's people. We gather here on the Lord's Day, Sunday morning. We have our two services have multiple opportunities to continue to gather throughout the week, Wednesday night activities, faith groups, and then, of course, there's a host of other gatherings that happen as believers get together in fellowship. Friends, as we fellowship with one another, with the Spirit of God within us and within our fellow believers, we fellowship in Christ and we come to know and love our Savior more and more. Seek to know and be in fellowship with your Savior. 
And it's clear from the text, friends, that when these two disciples, Andrew being one of them, fellowshiped with Christ, that at some point in staying with Him, they became fully convinced of who Jesus was. It's indicated by the fact that Andrew goes and declares to his brother that we have found the Messiah, the Christ. So we see then John going to his brother, excuse me, uh, we see Andrew going to his brother, declaring we have found the Messiah, bringing his brother to meet Jesus. And then we see in verse 42, as, uh, as, excuse me, as Peter, as Simon meets Jesus personally, this encounter happens. And here's what happens in this encounter. Seeing Simon, Jesus, without prompting, identifies him as Simon, the son of John. And then he gives him this name, Cephas, or Peter. Now, no one had to tell Jesus who this was. So Jesus knew already who was coming to meet him. But he gives him this new name. Why, why does he give him this new name? And in giving him this new name, he essentially makes Peter his disciple, identifying him as his disciple. He's calling him to follow. We could, we could spend a lot of time talking about Peter. Uh, in many ways, he's often viewed as the de facto leader of the 12 disciples. And the name that Jesus gives him is both interesting and, I believe, significant. Cephas in the Aramaic and Petros in the Greek means rock. Now, is there any significance to this name? Because you're given this nickname, Rock, you think it has some significance in Peter's life. And of course, if we were to look at Peter's life, we realize that he wasn't always a rock. He stumbled. He was weak. He doubted. He denied Jesus. There are lots of unrock-like things in the life of Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, we read something very interesting that I think connects with this interaction that Peter had with Jesus. The words are on the screen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, some have, have wrongly used this passage to assert that in some way Peter was the, the first pope, or he himself, Peter, was the rock upon which the whole church is built. But this is not at all what, what John is getting here, getting at here, what Jesus is getting at here when he says this to Peter, you are the rock, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You see, as Peter had just confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter, as the rock, isn't so much about him personally about a disciple 
who confesses what is true about Jesus and follows him and proclaims that to others. So it wasn't so much about Peter as the rock, it is Peter as a disciple of Jesus Christ, faithfully following him, confessing him, and pointing others to him. He becomes rock-like in that sense. And I'm going to open this up a little bit further. Christ is building his church. He promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is building his church, and how is he doing that? By saving to himself disciples who make disciples. So Peter then writes later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, he writes this, and you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted acceptable to God through Jesus Christ living stones being built up Do you see the connection there? Christ is building his church, friends, and he's using living stones like us to build it. 139 years ago, a living stone named Matty was added to God's spiritual house that he is building up. On top of that, years later, Another living stone named Henrietta was was built upon that. And by God's grace, friends, I also, as a living stone, have been added to that house, not of anything that I have done, but because of His grace. And if we had time, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to think, to trace back our spiritual lineage, if we could see The person who told the person who told us about Christ and who told them and who told them and go back through the centuries, it would bring us back to this passage. We could somehow potentially trace our spiritual lineage to right here when John told his two disciples and Andrew went and told Peter and Peter went and proclaimed it on the day of Pentecost and the many believed and were scattered and told others and told others until one day, friends, whether it be through your parents or a friend or an evangelist or a pastor, that word came to your ears and you heard and believed. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today, I encourage you to follow him and teach others to do the same. Knowing that in doing so, friends, you are making an eternal impact as Christ builds his church until he comes. Let's pray. Father, there is so much more that could be said. If we were to just take a moment and step back and look at the spiritual building that you are building with living stones. We would marvel at your providence and your goodness that has led throughout the ages. 
one telling another who tells another, walking alongside them, pointing them to Jesus, declaring what is true, following Jesus, leading others, fellowshipping with the Savior. God, we desire here at faith, it is our heart's desire that we would continue that. Oh God, until you come again, let us be those that are faithful to point to Christ and point others to Him and lead them to know the Savior. God, give us this grace, we pray. Encourage us, we pray, in our faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.